Hello, Sarah. Hi, Kim. How's it going? It's going well. Again, it's been a while. That's all right. We've both been busy. We've got a lot going on. Um, in fact, I don't know, have we recorded since you became Dr. Kim Wilkins? I don't know, but yeah, Dr. Kim Wilkins now. Yeah, just in case, listeners, Kim has finished her doctorate. She is Dr. Kim Wilkins now. We are in the company of, well, we've always been in the company of greatness, but now her title has finally caught up with her greatness. Finally. All right, all right. That's it took a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have an awesome guest that I'm super excited about. Uh, I've gotten to meet Camilo last fall. He joined as a Fulbright scholar, is that right? Uh, That's with, impressive. Uh, Jenny Chu, which we have interviewed before, and of course we're big fans of. And yes. uh, now he's been back a few more times, and looks like I'm going to get to go to Columbia to visit him. So oh. welcome, Camilo. Thank you, Kim and Sarah, for inviting me. Yeah, well, will you, I know there's a lot of things that we want our listeners to learn about you and what you're doing. Some stuff you're doing on your own, but then some stuff we're collaborating on, which is really exciting as well. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Sure. So I actually was born in Uruguay, uh, even though all my family is from Colombia. I grew up in Colombia since I was three years old. I feel more Colombian, actually. I studied engineering in my bachelor's degree. <clears throat> it was systems engineering, which in Colombia is kind of the closest we had to computer science back then. I like programming, I like math, so I went on that path. And then I worked for a few years as a software developer, but I decided that I wanted to work more with people and for people and to contribute more to, to my context. And so I started thinking how I could do that. I had a couple of influences in my life in education, and I met also a couple of uh, great teachers that kind of invited me to get involved in education. So I decided I wanted to use what I knew, like my technical background that I like and enjoy to work in education. And But I knew I needed to study more to do that, especially in the education and social sciences world. So I went back to graduate school. This was all in Medellin, Colombia. I did a master's in like educational technologies. And I had the chance to meet Dr. Alejandra Magana, who is a professor at Purdue, who invited me to then go and do uh, my PhD with her. I did research there on how people learn computing, especially in disciplinary context, because I always wanted to like contribute to the educational system in Colombia. I would all, often go back to Colombia to do things with teachers, also with engineering faculty on how people learn, how to teach. And then after my postdoc, that was still on the same topic and a little bit of information visualization, I decided to go back to Colombia. I'm back in Colombia since early 2018. And I've been working at Universidad del Norte since 2019 in the School of Education there. And it's kind of, I think, interesting, maybe unusual to go from software development to education. because I was just thinking that. Yeah. Well, like you said, you had to go and get a lot more learning mm -hmm. <laughs> background. And, yeah. you know, I think there's there's this idea that software development is such a lucrative field and so we actually worry about people that we are teachers in computer science education being 
enticed into software development. So mm -hmm. how, how is mm -hmm. it you were able to, to go the other way? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, so it's it's been definitely very interesting. And like, I feel I moved from uh, like a very where I don't know, like everything is predictable uh, mindset from engineering to understanding that humans, we are so complex and there are like different ways to experience things and we are not easy to be predicted on so i think i've learned a lot of like about social sciences and how to do uh like human like research with humans and how complex it is to transform the educational system mm -hmm. so that's been definitely a great addition to my technical background so my decision was basically because I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And for me, like I remember when I started doing my master's and like getting back to learning every day, that was like, wow, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I was working at, a, I worked as a software developer co development company. I also worked at an insurance company in the IT department. And in both jobs at the beginning, it was interesting because I was learning new things for that uh context but then it quickly became kind of a little bit boring for me because especially in the insurance company like everything moves slower in, in the technical side because they depend so much on that so they don't want to risk anything and i also was working like on my own pretty much i had a few like teams that i was working with but uh not so much with like people from other backgrounds like it was mostly engineers which i enjoyed talking to but i also enjoyed talking to other people like I, I rem remember I was looking at, at the clock and see like, okay, so when is it going to be 5.30 if I can leave, mm. right? Like, mm -hmm. and then when I went to do my master's, like, I forgot about the clock, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I just wanted to continue learning, to continue learning about education and, and then started to go into working with teachers and with students and yeah, that definitely changed uh, how I uh, look at at my job and, and at my life. And so I when I went to do my master's, I didn't know I was going to go for a PhD, but quickly, like six months into my master's, I was like, oh, no, I want to do science in, in education. It sounds like the things that drew you to education are similar to the things that make Kim and I love it so much. It's kind of like the three C's, the community of seeing people and getting to communicate with people with different backgrounds and then the creativity of, you know, getting outside of that square that you described, kind of doing the same thing every day. And, oh, what was the third one? Community, creativity. Ooh, I lost it. There was a third yeah. C. I'll, I'll remember it. I'll get there. But that those are the same kind of things that Kim and I love about education is community, creativity, and Whatever oh, the third thing that was in I'm my a, brain. Contributing, <laughs> contributing to contribution. <laughs> continuing yeah. uh curiosity. curiosity. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, wanting to learn new things. You know what you what you said about how learning new things and you said mm -hmm. I could do this every day for the rest of my life. This is what mm -hmm. I want to do. There it is. Curiosity. I got there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming along on that journey with me. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty special thing when you can align your life and your goals to something that you don't have to you know, you're not looking at the clock you're like this is exciting oh and yeah it might not always be the first thing you think of or the second or the third because 
like I, I never would have imagined myself in education when I was working in technology because I loved working in technology. But so not only did you focus on education, but then you're focusing a lot on early education, which to, like my comfort zone is middle school. And mm. so, yeah, how did that happen? I guess so. So actually, like my PhD was with undergraduate students and that was basically because my advisor was with mm -hmm. undergraduate students, but I knew that I wanted to make a contribution to to my context. And while I think it's very interesting to do research with undergraduate students and, and working with engineering faculty who are they don't actually have a education background. So it's really nice to to work with them and thinking about how people learn and how to teach better. There is only so much you can do at that level uh, because like students are already like they're committed or not to studying and they know what they want. And I think the larger impact has to be done earlier in life. But I also didn't think I was going for early childhood at the beginning. So when I went back to Colombia, I started thinking about like middle and high school. I started doing some projects. I was very lucky to to get involved in a in a national professional development program for computational thinking with middle and high school teachers. But also what happened is that the only undergraduate program we had in my department at my university was uh, early childhood education. So I ended up getting some like undergraduate students and then graduate students who were interested in this topic. And we started exploring that and it's just fascinating uh, how young children learn and how much you can do at that age mm -hmm. because they are still like on early stages of cognitive development there are many things that I think you can still work on and also what we've found so far is that we can potentially make big changes with bringing uh, computing activities to the early years. I think both because I ended up in that context, but also because it's very interesting and you have you can have a huge impact. I agree. And I don't I, I'm interested in hearing, I don't know if this is a global phenomenon or not, but in my experience, and I think this is pretty consistent across the US, if you're working with middle and high schoolers, they might have already gotten the message that computer science isn't for them. There are many groups that are underrepresented in technology when it comes to high school, college, in, in the technology profession. And so reaching kids in elementary school, they're more open to it because they haven't learned that they shouldn't be doing it yet. Have you seen that in your work in Colombia as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it is definitely Darn. true. That... <laughs> oh, man, I was, I was hoping maybe the rest of the world had figured it out. <laughs> yeah, no, this is uh, definitely true. Like, people have a lot of, like, stereotypes about who can and who cannot do computing. Of course, as most stereotypes, this is not true. And then for young children, they just want to play and enjoy and they don't even know that they are learning, but they are just like trying to do these things and they don't think of those activities as, oh, this is not for me. Mm, one interesting thing that we've been uh, looking at in these early years and, and that may influence that in the future is how these ideas of boy toys or girl toys contribute to children's cognitive de development and how that how does that relate to 
their abilities with computing uh, activities. And so this gap and these stereotypes may emerge from early years, but they just don't, they are not aware of those. So I think you can still like change some of that. And, and we are trying to do it also by integrating computing uh, early in their lives. I have a lot of strong feelings about that. As my daughter is starting to play with toys and starting to choose the kinds of things that she's interested in, um, it's it's really interesting what comments people make and and what people buy for her and what people assume that she's going to be interested in. And that I, I have told my husband from the beginning, like if she gravitates towards traditionally stereotypically female toys, I worry that I'm going to have a bias against that and I'm going to push her. So far, I've been very lucky because she has been drawn to trains and trucks and building. And so I haven't had that panic of, oh my gosh, are you going to hate technology? What do I do? How do I fix it? But I have to let her like what she likes. I don't get to decide for her. But I I get nervous that she's going to be the girls that I've seen in high school that have been like, no, I, I can't do technology. I, I I need to take choir or sewing. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But it's when they have to choose and they decide there isn't a place for me here that oof, gets my gets my blood boiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my and, and my so poor I, kid. <laughs> I don't I don't think you need to like say, oh, you have to play with this. But they are exposed to many different things that are influencing their choices, right? Mm-hmm. Uh through television, through internet, through their social environment. Yeah. Uh, so at least to show them that there are different things and that they don't need to do like all that all other girls do, for example. I think that's that's the important thing. And like providing uh, children with like equal opportunities for for choosing, I think that's that's key. And again, I I don't think playing with a baby doll is is wrong. And I don't see mm-hmm. why a boy wouldn't be able shouldn't be able to play with a baby doll as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that contributes to developing like nurturing skills then why don't both girls and boys do it right yeah Um, so the same uh with like boy toys for girls is like that idea of boy or girl toys is more a social construct that something that is real you're 100 percent right and my bias is showing and that is something that i am that i am definitely working on for sure (laughs) (laughs) so are you you're working on your doctorate right now no, no, I completed okay. my, my doctorate in 2016. And then so I got this Fulbright scholarship to be like a visiting scholar. Last year, he our UVA uh, with Jenny Chu and her amazing team. And after four months, we realized that that was not enough. <laughs> that we <needed> more time. <laughs> more Camilo. <laughs> <laughs> so... So we got a couple of small fundings from UVA uh, to continue working together. And we are uh, also writing some other proposals to to expand that work. And so that's why I come a couple of times this year. Uh, and actually last time I came with one of my PhD students. Hopefully next year there will be another of my PhD students uh, who is doing data science education uh, coming to UVA. Yeah, so that's... We, we are trying to get this to be a long-term relationship yes and and global so Uh, what we launched is the global center for equitable computer science education 
And so can you talk about a little bit about what our goals are for that? Yeah, so I see it as, as a way of organizing a little bit of the work that uh, you guys with Jenny did here and what I do with my team in Colombia. And then thinking a, a little bit bigger and, and more systematic. So basically, we launched the Global Center for Equitable Computer Science Education last March, where we are doing like three main things. We are trying to understand how children learn computing in different contexts. How can we design learning experiences for specific contexts and things like how these con con contextual factors, such as the toys they play with or the culture that is around them, influence their their ability to learn and this is not only for for young children although that's like a big focus right now but both the, uh, the design lab here and and my team uh, have done work with middle and high school as well and we are also looking into bringing that to rural context so what does that entail uh, etc that's the first thing understanding how uh, children and, and young students learn the second one is providing capacity building for teachers. So both the design lab at DBA and our own group do professional development for teachers to integrate computing into their classrooms. This is a huge thing right now because like everyone is saying, oh, we, we all need to learn computing, but there are not many like pre-service programs for computing or even for in-service professional development programs. So we are providing capacity, but also... Uh, understanding how does that happen because many of the teachers who are in the schools they don't have the technical background uh, but it's not only the technical background but the pedagogical background and then we also oh, yeah. know there are all these stereotypes of oh this is not for uh, me this is not for girls this is not for so how can we address that uh, from the professional development program uh, perspective so we do researching how they uh, develop these knowledge and skills and how they take that to the classroom and the third thing that we came up with is about developing accessible devices. Because some of the devices that we've been using in research, like some of the educational robots we use, are quite expensive, specifically for Latin American context. So last year, we launched a professional development program for computational thinking in early childhood education for Latin America. And we were very happy to see that a lot of teachers got en enrolled like we had like 700 teachers from 10 different countries enrolled and when we, when we were discussing these technologies they asked oh so how much is that and it's like well this single robot is a hundred dollars and that's like a lot of money for a single robot that is only for pre-k to for a like public school in latin america so we started thinking, well, we should probably think about ways of, of making this accessible. And we are partnering again with the design lab here. And like part of the global center is let's try to design a device that is accessible. But even if it is low cost, it doesn't mean it's like low performance. It's like a yeah. good uh, device. And I think it has a lot of potential because it quite more flexible than the solutions that are out there right now. And we want to make it so the teachers can build it, build it themselves if, if they want to. And 
It also uses a, a device called the microbit that we've used before for middle school. So potentially a school could use this device not only for pre-K, but for uh, later uh, in the school, like other school levels as well. So that's like the, the three like pillars of the Global Center. Understanding how children learn, providing capacity building for teachers and uh, developing accessible devices for, for everyone to teach computing. Oh my gosh, that's so, so fascinating. And I don't know how long it took to narrow down your kind of research and focus to those three pillars, but you've just nailed it. I mean, I think those are three of the biggest things that are getting in the way or helping to push computer science education because you need to understand how to teach it. And to do that, you need to know how students learn it. You need educators that feel ready and feel confident, and you can only go so far without a device. And so the, that really is just the trifecta. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so fascinated about what you're, what you're learning and what you're finding. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we are too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're just in the beginning stages. Yeah. But that's also really exciting. And I think for our audience, I'd love to invite participation. Like if you're a teacher out there, this sounds fascinating to you and you'd like to get your hands on a prototype, you know, we are definitely looking for educators to test things out for companies if they're interested in getting involved and providing some monetary support. Yeah, there's lots of, we're on the ground floor now. So anybody who wants to get involved. <laughs> and I'm yeah. really proud to share that the company that I work for, Bird Brain Technologies, we are on that ground floor with you and, and sharing the inspiration behind our robots. And, you know, our, our mission is to create equitable computer science education for all students and supporting all teachers. And so we jumped at the chance and want to try to find a way to make it work. So other, other companies, uh, we have thrown the gauntlet. Please come join us where there's plenty of, plenty of space for you. Yeah. I think this, like this global center has helped us to kind of organize that, those, those ideas. After we launched the center last March, my university wrote like, well, we have also a, a podcast, so maybe this is like this is the the first English uh, speaking podcast. But uh, <laughs> your one helped because like the main bank in Colombia asked us like, oh, we want to get involved. Like, how how can we work together? And and it was because there is like this idea of oh, we want to do how students learn, do capacity building, and then provide accessible devices. They want to do, for example, like they want to work on like with rural youth. And so for that, we've been like working on a proposal for some, for a couple of years now on how can we bring this for like agricultural context, the children who are, I don't know, the, the children of uh, farmers can uh, do like digital agriculture projects. So they learn about computing, they learn about science, they use uh, computing technology to predict how the crop will grow or to uh, design an automated watering system for, for the crops. This is important because it has to be for a context where there is agriculture, right? We don't, like not all the rural contexts are agriculture focused. So that's how we bring the context to make it relevant for, for students. Yeah, so so I also want to extend the invitation for, for companies and, and organizations who want to get involved uh, we can like think about things that are relevant for you, but also that contribute to making 
computer science education uh, accessible and equitable for everyone. I think there was a time where computer science was considered a standalone subject that was kind of siloed. And if you studied that, you studied that. And I think that it has totally busted out of that. You mentioned agriculture and how computer science is embedded in agriculture and manufacturing. It's embedded into fashion and education. It's embedded into finance. Like there is no career that is not touched by computer science and computing right now. And so it, it's a reason that all students need it. And I've seen that in the middle schoolers that I was working with, with robotics six years ago, they talked about studying computer science and becoming engineers. And the students that I'm working with now with robotics and computer science, they're talking about using it to be zoologists and to be mm -hmm. astrophysicists. Like they see that it's everywhere now. And if they study computer science and engineering, it's to go use it in one of these places, not to necessarily go and be a, a programmer. It, it has really, whether the adults are aware of it or not, I think the definition of computer science and what you can do with it has really changed with young people. Oh yeah, there is, I think this is a number from like 2015, so it may have even changed, but... I think Marcus Dial from uh, University of Michigan, he said that nine out of 10 jobs that are using computing and programming are not software development, but are like mm -hmm. people who are working in their disciplines, like biologists, educators, engineers, who use programming for their field and not necessarily for doing software development. And software development, of course, is important and there is a, a lot of jobs in that, but also in many other uh, disciplines. And I also wanted to to connect that to like in especially in early childhood and, and in elementary school, computing has been integrated a lot with math because they have like many natural synergies. So math and numeracy skills are foundational skills for children uh, as they grow. So I think if we bring this from, from early years, we could potentially contribute to that. Actually, that's one of the things that we've been finding when working with young children that this may actually help develop these special skills, which are predictors of math learning, science learning, and even programming learning. So I think there is a lot of potential with bringing uh, computational thinking and, and computing education in general. Yeah, it's very exciting. Is there something that you would say to educators who are listening? Like what, what could be a first step if they are feeling like, yeah, I need to get on this I need to get on this uh, train. I'm late like, to the party. Yeah. <laughs> what are some first steps they can take? Well, so the first thing is, uh, so don't be afraid and don't think of, of computer science as complicated computing language or something that is not easy to talk to. There are many, many different tools right now that you can use to start with simple steps. I would suggest try to think how does this connect to what you teach currently uh, to make it relevant. Then in terms of like specific tools or activities, there is this idea of unplugged activities where you don't even need a device. You just use, uh, I don't know, manipulatives or, or things like that to demonstrate an algorithm. I think, I personally think that uh, key element in around the idea of computational thinking and of course computer science is algorithmic thinking because you do debugging of an algorithm you do the composition when you are doing an algorithm you do uh, abstraction when you do an algorithm 
So I think even though these are all constructs that they mention around computational thinking, a, a main one I would say is algorithmic thinking. So using unplugged CS is a, is a way of doing it. There are many different resources for that. Then once you want to go into the device, unless you are working with like young children that you may use like a robotic device, uh, for elementary and middle school, I would go for like block-based programming. And there are, again, many different uh, languages for that. MakeCode for the microbit, Scratch is the, probably the, the most famous one. There's Snap, there's Alice, there are many different ones. And that helps a lot because it reduces the cognitive load that children uh, experience when they first uh, engage in programming. I think for writers, is there is this idea of like the blank page. How do you start writing? Well, it happens the same for, for programming, right? Once you don't have nothing, when you have nothing and you don't even know how to express in that language, in this case, the programming language, is, is just very difficult for them. So getting early successes, like with drug-based programming, where you can just like drag and drop an instruction and see what happens in the, in the screen, I think that's uh, very helpful. So I would say those are the main things. Make it relevant for you and think about starting small and build on top of that using things like CS or, or block-based programming. And just try it and try it again. Uh, that's how we do it in engineering. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Don't be frustrated. And, and especially when you work with humans, you will learn that you need to try one thing. Maybe that didn't work for everyone. We'll try something else and bring different uh, ideas to the classroom. I love it. Me too. I have nothing no, nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright that. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> so Sarah, do you want to ask your favorite question? Does she remember what it is? Let's see if she remembers what it is. I have so many favorite questions. And my on Flocking Amazing, my favorite question is different. Is it? Is it, how do you want to change the world? Yeah, something like that. Okay, just checking. Okay. I would love to ask my favorite question. Camilo, how do you want to change the world? Well, I think I've been working on that over the last 10 years, at least. I would have to agree, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, I, I feel for myself, it's been an interesting ride to move between, like, this idea of being an, an engineer and getting things done, being pragmatic, but also understanding the complexity of humans and understanding that even if you design everything as you wanted it to work, might not work like that. Mm -hmm. So I would say I'm trying to change the world iteratively, <laughs> uh, trying to use evidence of how things work to improve in the future and trying to work a lot with people, with people also from many different backgrounds, both in terms of like their professional background, but also in terms of their context. I just find it fascinating that even if we spend a lot of time designing something, once we bring it to the field, we talk to a teacher, or we see how the students use it, it just like opens a lot of new doors. Mm -hmm. So hearing, listening to people and, and trying things with people and collaborating and trying to do to be evidence-based. I think that's also very important in education. Sometimes there are things that emerge that people are, oh, yeah, this is great. And let's invest all this money on that. And then the next thing comes up and then they want to do that too. So I think in education, it's very important to be responsible because lives of many people are at play. 
So yeah, using evidence, being iterative, trying things with uh, with people and listening to people and also learning from great, uh, interesting people from many different backgrounds. I think those are things that I used to try to change the world. Well, Camila, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, just, I could talk to you all day. I think the work <laughs> that you're doing is so interesting and I look forward to having you back again later to hear about the progress that you've made and the things that you're learning. And I just think your work is awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Kim and Sarah, for, for this space. It's been great talking to you. And, and also I want to congratulate you for having this space. I think it's very valuable to, to share these different experiences with, with the world. So thank you. Yeah, we, we love it. it. We get to learn so much and connect with so many cool people. So we're, we're happy to do it. Oh, yeah. It is fantastic, especially when you have a really good guest. So we'll be sure to link, especially about the Global Center for CS Education, Equitable CS Education, and more information about Camilo. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Until next time. Tech, love, and happiness.